Good morning, everyone. You can say, see, after last week, the Lord gave me a picture. <laughs> so this is kind of pretend this was up last week, too. How, how the... And I, I liked the thought of the bubble because the bubble is within any environment, but it's protection of the things inside, right? And Lord gave me, and I, can you guys hear me okay? Everybody hear me all right? During worship, the Lord gave me kind of this, uh, this thought, we're, we're going to be in Psalm 91 today, but... Um, a little bit different, different ideas. As I was with him this morning, he was showing me, I don't know if you want to call it different layers, um, or a different portion. But last week we talked about relationship and, and we talked about the qualification for that protection. Okay, we talked about how relationship with him is where the foundation of that protection is, that Psalm 91 protection. We talked about that. Remember, and, and you guys could turn to Psalm 91. We're going to begin there. Um, but verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter, or that uh, we, we talked about that being the secret place. The Hebrew term there is really the secret place with the Most High God. And that's that's, by the way, that's not finding His secret place. That's the secret between the two of you. That is the essence of relationship. Because although I can look at you and I can see that you have a relationship, I cannot invade that relationship from the outside. I can perhaps look at it, I can perhaps assess it by your fruits, but I cannot invade it. Why? Because it is your secret place with the Most High God. And that's what we talked about last week. He who dwells in that secret place with the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will abide in the very protection of the Almighty. And they will say to the Lord, You are my refuge, right? You are my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Then it goes on to say, for He will deliver. You know what? Let's just read through this whole thing. For He will deliver you you know, you know, I'm going to do something that he told, that, that he had me do this week, and I probably should have wrote it down. Hopefully I won't mess it up. But, but it's, it's what he had me do myself this week, and I want to encourage you to do it the same way. As you read Psalm 91, and I want to really, really encourage you to read Psalm 91, read it every day. Spend time with it every day. There's layers of things in here he wants us to know. But this is the, the first time, I think it was Monday, after last Sunday, he had me begin it this way. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, who is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover me 
with his pinions or his feathers. And under his wings I will find refuge. His faithfulness and his shield, I'm sorry, his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler to me. I will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it will not come near me. I will only look with my eyes and see the recompense of the wicked or see what the wicked deserve. Because you have made, or because I have made the Lord my dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall me, no plague come near my tent. For he will command his angels concerning me to guard me in all my ways. On their hands they will bear me up, lest I strike my foot against a stone. You will tread, I will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. I will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love. And this is the Lord now speaking. Because He, put your own name in there, holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him with long life. I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. And we talked about last week, to recognize what that is protection from. That is protection from the eternal things that come against you, that will cost you eternally. And I don't mean your salvation. I don't mean your ticket to heaven. can't cost you that. Because that was never yours to earn. That was simply yours to receive. So you can't lose what you didn't earn. You simply asked for that salvation and it was given to you and it was sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, until you receive it. So we're not talking about your salvation. We're not talking about your ticket to heaven. We're talking about your relationship. We're talking about the placement of how God works you into your life with everything around you, how He will use you here, but how He will use you afterwards. See, the protection is from your, is for your rewards. The protection is for that very relationship that you live with and live by here on this earth. Lord gave me a picture during worship this morning, two pictures actually. And I'll see if I could describe them because they're, they're kind of, kind of opposite in a way. But they're a picture of life. And, and he's had Israel on my heart all week and, and, and just, just looking, looking at their walk 
not Israel nowadays, but Israel as, as they were coming out of Egypt and, and not getting into the land, but before that point, right? Leading up to when they refused to trust the Lord. And I used to think, why in the world? Why in the world did they think that way? You know, I, I mean, I mean, they saw these amazing miracles. Right? I know, I know they spent hundreds of years, 400 years, you know, in Egypt, but, but seriously, how could they not see, first of all, the 10 miracles that got them out of there, but then, okay, set those aside. How about the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea? You know, how about the miracle of God literally taking care of their enemies when he closed it back up again? Okay, let's forget those ones for a second, set those ones aside. How about when he leads them by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day? Those were consistent everyday miracles. I don't know about you, but if I walked outside this afternoon and I saw this pillar of cloud and it was leading me wherever I should go, I would consider that a miracle. Okay, let's set that one aside too, even though they saw it every day. How about the miracle when God provided manna for them in the wilderness? I mean, do you know that that was the first, probably shouldn't say this, the first welfare state? <laughs> but it was God's welfare state. It was God providing for them every day. That was a miracle. And it was a miracle the fact that they couldn't, couldn't bring it and hoard it together because it would go bad after a day. By, by the way, there's a miracle within that too because if you ever think of what manna might taste, taste like, the Bible talks about it being sweet. Okay, now he could have given them just unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Right? He could have get, but no, he gives, he literally gets them to enjoy their sweet tooth. For free. And it filled everything they needed in their body to sustain life. That was a miracle every day. Okay, but let's set that one aside. Do you see what's going on here? It was never enough. It was never enough. When manna wasn't enough and they wanted meat, then you got to see God's sarcastic side. I love it. Oh, you want meat, do you? Okay, here you go. Ooh, there they come. Right? More than they needed. In fact, it all went bad. But yet God provided. When they needed water, two different times they didn't have water and they needed water, God provided water. It's extraordinary to me you read this in the gospel and you think, what are they thinking? What are they thinking? What was Israel thinking? When they had this promised land. I mean, grape clusters so big, it had to be carried by two men on a pole. I don't know, anybody like grapes in here? I love grapes. I eat them just about every morning. Yvonne and I fight over if there's just a few left. Of course, she usually gets them. She gets them before me. But I love grapes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
But it's, I mean, think about what was waiting for them. Now, I don't know if those were just big clusters or if they were big grapes. Can you imagine biting into a grape about the size of a grapefruit? Yeah, I mean, that would be cool. I'll have a grape this morning, please. No, but imagine what was waiting for them. And, and we look at that and we think, hello, how, how are you not getting this? I, I, I used to say how frustrating it would get. It, you know, I, I go through the Bible a few times a year and, and how frustrated I get when I get to that point. I'm like, no, they did it again. <laughs> and you think, why? But God said, we're the same. Do you understand? We're the same. It's just in a different perspective. See, because we live life, and I'm going to give you these two pictures of relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? And, and one is a surface relationship. It's where you walk through life and you let every little thing stop you from what he wants you to do. Every little thing. Well, you know what? My boss is upset with me and I gotta work Sundays now. Or you know what? I don't have enough money to make my rent or to make my mortgage. So I'm going to have to take that part-time job on top of my already 50 hours a week and I'm, I'm just going to have to disengage from what God wants me to do for the next few weeks just till I get caught up. Or you know what? I have this ailment. It discourages me so much. It keeps me from what God wants. See, all those things we justify in our lives, and yet God looks at the same thing, and just as we do Israel, and says, no, 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 no. Oh, they did it again. They did it again. They didn't trust me. They didn't trust my protection. Now, is that a protection from all bad things? No, we talked about it last week. If it was a protection from all bad things, then God would not have said down here at the end in verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. It wouldn't have said that. It would have said, I will keep him out of all trouble. But it doesn't. And by the way, if it said that, then he would have had to apologize to a lot of people. Because you cannot look at a single person that has effect for, for the Lord in this book that did not go through turmoil. It doesn't exist. Why do you think it should exist in your life? Why does the bride think it should exist in her? It doesn't. See, the bride's no different than Israel. The bride looks for things to be comfortable. The bride looks for things to be able to to trust in something that they know or a program that they know instead of saying, God, you lead this. I trust you even when it becomes uncomfortable. So let me give you a different picture. A picture of, of a person with relationship with the Lord. 
recognizing the battlefield, placing their armor on, and stepping onto the battlefield, knowing full well it may cost them their very life, not just their comfort, but their life. That's a different picture, isn't it? Do you know that's the picture we see over and over again in people that lived for the Lord? I, I'm so amazed the more that, that I get to know, especially the Old Testament prophets. And by the way, we are going back to a day where it will be more similar to that than it is the New Testament. I know that's really unpopular. I know... You and, and I've told you guys that, and I know you get it. And those online, I know that may, may be hard to hear, but it's truth. It's absolute truth. Because what the Father is going to do in readying His bride needs to bring us to a place, literally, of warfare. But He wants us to trust Him. So that warrior stepping out onto the battlefield, how do they have the confidence to do that? How do they have the confidence to know? I mean, think about it. Paul stepping into a situation where he knows, he knows he's going to die. Peter, the same thing, knowing that he was going to die. Not just go to prison, that happened many other times. Or getting on, I, I don't know about you, but if I knew a ship was going to like go through a storm and wreck and all that, I, it, we'd have to have a conversation between the Lord and I. <laughs> Are you sure, God? Are you positive? But think about it. He knew and he stepped. Why? Because his confidence wasn't in the feel good of this life. It wasn't in the comfort of this life. His confidence was in God's provision. His confidence was in God's protection as it applied to His will for Paul's life. That is what God asks for in relationship. That's what He asks for in trust. If you are developing relationship with Him with the idea that it will make your life smoother... And easier in terms of the external feelings. Uh, let me save you some time. It's not going to happen. Because, see, that didn't happen for Jesus. Remember, Jesus came as a man. He did not do anything. Recognize this. This was such a, such a huge paradigm shift for me when I, when I learned this. He did not do anything as God. He claimed the sonship of God and never used the power. He only used the power available to Him through the Holy Spirit. God's power. That's why Satan tempted Him with His own power. But see, Jesus had to show us that we can do the same thing. We can't use the excuse that, well, yeah, but Jesus is God. 
He never acted as God. He also never required you to take the same mantle. He requires you to take the mantle that he's given you. To cling to his cross, but his cross has already been paid for. But in walking, as Jesus walked, he trusted the Father for everything that he needed. He even sold, told his disciples when, when he first invited them, he, he said, you know, I don't have a place to even lay my head. Was he telling them, look, for the next three and a half years, we're going to be sleeping outside. Just get used to it. No, he wasn't telling them that. He was telling them, everything we need, my father will provide. If we need a bed to sleep in, he'll provide it. If we need food to eat, we'll pro he'll provide it. Oh, by the way, if we need to pay our taxes, he'll give us a fish with a coin in the mouth. He'll provide it. So what the disciples had to learn was to walk in that. That's stepping onto that battlefield with your armor on, not knowing necessarily where you're going to walk, but letting him guide your feet. And knowing that I trust him to take me through this battle, what? According to his will. See, sometimes it's his will for things to happen. If you don't believe me, ask Paul. Paul prayed three times for this annoying spirit to be taken from him. And Father said, no, no, my grace is sufficient. It needs to be there because that keeps us in relationship. It keeps the very thing, this pride, the very thing that would knock us out of relationship, it keeps it in check. So, so do you think then that Paul decided to go a different direction just to make it easier on himself? No. So how do we deal with these things, these protections, when we step into... And by the way, I, God has had this on my mind all week, and I, I really thought it was what I was going to preach on this morning, but, um, but I will say it. America is at war, guys. America is at war. Okay, and I'm not talking about, you know, the, the, it's really the good versus evil in the whole world. America is at war, and the good and evil within America. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled that things are just choices in how we live. There is a right, and there is a wrong. And the sad part is, we as Americans are where we are today because the pulpits have not stood up. The pulpits have been too afraid of externally what would happen to them. Well, I don't want our tax status to be taken away. My answer is, why? You don't pay the church's taxes? I mean, who that really hurts, I suppose, if you want to call it hurt, are the parishioners that give the money. So why don't you leave it up to them? 
Well, yeah, but then, then they won't give as much and we won't have people giving. Do you see how screwed up it gets in the head? Wait a second. Is God your provider or isn't he? Does God own the cattle on a thousand hills or just does John Doe own it? Who goes to your church and he's an elder in your church. The church has gotten so screwed up. The bride, those who are saved. I'm not talking about the people that just call themselves Christians and are not. I'm talking about those who are saved. Have gotten themselves so screwed up in trying to control church that it's taken it from the hands of God. I was so saddened yesterday. And I, I know I'll probably get emails on this one. but I was so saddened yesterday as I'm listening to Governor, I think it's Northrop. Is that, is that right, Northrop? Sure. From Virginia. This is the one that a few days ago was talking about third-term abortion and literally abortion after the baby was born and how he is for it. And, and then, then this picture came out of him, or, or he says it's not him, but in blackface and all this. And there's this big stink about how he should, he should resign. And, and it's funny who's going after him. Who's going after him is his own party, which I think is awesome. <laughs> but the thing that hurt me the most yesterday when he's telling the world that that's not him in the picture... He said, I wouldn't do that. And he starts talking about how he loves God and how he prays every day. And he's praying for God to guide him through these murky waters. And he said, and this is what crushed me because I grew up a Baptist. He said, I go to blank blank Baptist church and my pastor is even here with me. That broke my heart, guys. That broke my heart. Where is that pastor? I mean, seriously. Does he just want the fame of this guy going to his church? Or whoever else is at the church? I have no idea. He should, he should want to not touch that with a 10-foot pole. In fact, he should have a press conference afterwards and say, he's dead wrong. Not because of the, the picture that was found, but what he said a few days ago about taking a child's life after it was born. You know, it's extraordinary to me. We, we have, we have a, a, a national bird, the, the bald eagle, right? I love eagles. It's one of my favorite, favorite animals, bald eagle. I love when I, because we'll have them here every now and then. Right, We get to see them. I love bald eagles. Do you know it is illegal? You could do prison time for killing a bald eagle egg. Is that extraordinary? You could do prison time if you take a bald eagle egg and do that. But yet, a third term baby that is a human life, you can rip its life from its from it, right from it, and it'd be okay? I mean, that, that's screwed in the head, guys. That's screwed up in the head. And where are the pastors declaring that? 
doing their taxes. Doing their taxes, saying we get our tax, tax write-off. You know, I, I have one response to them. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give unto God what is God's. You know what? If they take away our tax stuff, so what? So what? Everybody will still give and God will just increase their, their income 20, 20, 30%. Who cares? Because if you really believe it's God's, then you believe it's God's. It's God's to give. I'll tell you what though, the remnant of the bride is going to become more vocal. The pulpits are going to become more vocal. And there is persecution coming. Even in the United States, there's persecution coming. For whatever you want to call it. But there's persecution coming. Are you ready to stand in that persecution? Are you ready to go onto that battlefield with your armor on and say, whatever, just show me what to swing at, God. Because I'm going to swing. Because I've got my sword ready and you've trained me how to use it. And I'm going to swing. You see, that's how Jesus fought the enemy. I want to go through, because Jesus gives examples of how to fight the enemy and how to live relationship with the Father. I mean, the Gospels are amazing because, and not just, not just because of what Jesus did. He did many amazing miracles, of course. But truly, the Gospels are about teaching you how to have relationship with the Father. Because that's what he did. Jesus did it first. Jesus did it as a human being, having the same problems that we have, and yet showing us that an attitude of relationship with the Father met in the perfection of His will. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 3. And we're going to go down through this. This is just after, you know, Jesus is about 30 years old and he, he, he goes and he's baptized by John. John says, and you know what, I, I, I want to read this even. Uh, back, back in chapter 3, verse... Verse 16, John answered them all, and this is at Jesus' baptism, right? But he said, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier mightier than I is coming. And he's talking about Jesus, and I think this might have been, no, this was after, wait. No. Okay, yeah, Luke doesn't show it. So this right before, because I think, I think if you go back to Matthew, it tells the, the whole story, but it's, he, he's there baptizing people and he tells the people, there's one coming, you know, whose sandals I, I cannot even loose. He says, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, first of all, we can get the Holy Spirit part. We get the Holy Spirit part because we ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit as we worship. 
And his, his presence becomes so thick that we enjoy it. That, and, and, and by the way, that's nothing compared to what it's going to be after he falls. I can't even begin to explain to myself <laughs> what that's going to be like and look like. But we skip the last part. And fire. What does that mean? What does that fire mean? Well, first of all, let me go back to it a second here. And you don't need to turn to it, but in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2 says, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. See, do you understand the fire is the purification? Anybody who watches the coolest show on TV, Gold Rush, understands what the refiner's fire is. Because they take this, this rough gold that has dross and other stuff in it, and they put it under this extreme intense heat that literally purges the junk from the pure gold. See, that's what Jesus does in relationship. He came to baptize us in the Holy Spirit, but he came to refine us in the fire. Do you know fire hurts? It's hot. If you don't believe me, turn on the stove, give it a second to heat up, and you'll feel it. Fire hurts. It's intended to hurt because it's the heat that burns off the other stuff. Why do we think when we're being refined in our relationship with God that everything isn't rosy? Because there's a cost. You know, I look at, again, Jesus' life and there was a cost that he lived with every day. Not just, not just when he was beaten and hung on the cross. Do you know there was a cost there was a cost every day for him. When he would look at somebody who did not believe him, or did not believe in him as the Messiah, and it broke his heart. He looked over J Jerusalem and he said, Oh, if you would just come to me, I, I would take you in my arms. Do you think he was just saying that? Or do you think that was coming from a place of anguish? Why? Because he had built such a relationship with the Father that the Father's heart was mirrored onto him. Because that was the Father's heart, was the anguish. Do we anguish over people? Do we anguish beyond our own circumstances? We all, all anguish. As soon as I get paid this week, I did all this overtime. As soon as I get paid this week, then I'll pay my mortgage or, or my rent, and then, then I, I'll anguish after that, but till then I really got to concentrate. And, and I, I say that, I don't mean to say that flip at all, because I get it. I get, I get what it means to be burdened in this life. I know I lived it. But I can tell you from the other side that it doesn't have to be that way. See, the moment God told me to do what I 
what he wanted me to do with my business and shut it down and give my finances to him. He told me that. Okay, bottom line, you got to recognize what he tells you. Once he told me that, and I knew he told me that, it was done in my mind. That was literally him saying, let me take your finances. I'll do the books. I'll take care of it. I don't want you to have to focus on it. But then Satan comes in and tries to tempt you to. And we can either succumb to that temptation or we could say, no, 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 no. Wait a second. The Lord said. I remember, and I've told this story three months after we closed the business and we had no more money and I had nothing else to sell or anything else. And, and we didn't have the money for our already four months behind mortgage. And not to say anything against my wife at all, but she came to me, can we pray about this? I said, no. No, we can't pray about it. If the Lord's leading you to pray about it, pray about it. And those were, were my exact words. Why? Because I didn't carry the books anymore. It wasn't my responsibility. But what was my responsibility was to have faith in him carrying the books and not to take them back. He works that in our lives to teach us that he wants to do his will. Satan wants to distract us from his will. Now, I'm not saying everybody's supposed to go out and quit your job. Please understand the prerequisite to what he did in my life at that time was he told me what to do. I knew what it was what he wanted. He had confirmed it to me many times over. So there was no question of what he wanted me to do. Now the sad part is he had been telling me for a year and a half. And it took me that long to finally listen. But once I knew it was him, it was no question. And since then... He's provided everything we need and more. It wasn't long before he not only provided for the mortgage, but got us totally caught up on everything. And that's without an income. I say that because he does not want you to fall to the distractions that Satan is going to pull or put in your life to try to get you to focus on you doing stuff instead of the Lord doing stuff. It works in your personal lives. Satan, that, that, that strategy works for him. It works on the church as well. Because it's the same way. Why do preachers preach what I just said and yet run the church so differently? See, I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, know, all the details of how God, let's, let's say God, I'll use an example. I'll use an example that, that, was, that happened, actually happened before. I was part of a team. We were, we were strategizing, if you will, and this was a leadership team in the church. We were strategizing on moving from about, I think at the time we were about 700, moving to over 1,000. And one of the huge barriers 
that was there, I mean physical barriers, we couldn't, was we did not have enough parking. Illegally, we didn't. I mean, legally, we could not fit that many people there because we didn't have the parking spaces. So the answer was to add parking. And that wasn't hard to come up with, you know, figure out that was the problem. And so we began discussing that. And, and, and my suggestion was, okay, let's figure out what that's going to cost. And, and basically, it was figured out that it was going to cost about a million dollars. That was the fork in the road right there, guys. Because, see, I think there were maybe only two, me and one other person on the leadership team that I remember, maybe there were more, that said, okay, it could cost $10 million. It doesn't really matter. We're not writing the check. We're just giving the faith. If God is telling us to do it, then we need to do it. Period. And see, the sad thing is that the leadership of the church decided no. No. We're not going to pursue that because it's just too much. That was the point. If you look historically at this church, and many, many of you know what I'm talking about, that was the point where it started to decline. And we went from, I don't know, 700 or 750 or whatever it was, all the way down. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's well below 150 now. Do you see what choices of taking your own control of things, whether it be in your life or whether it be in the church, have devastating effects. Devastating effects. I really thought I'd be so much further than I am. Chapter 4 of Luke. This is the temptation of Jesus. Jesus, you know, came off his baptism. Now recognize what that means. Okay, he was baptized with water. Okay, but then when he came up, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, he was not baptized in the Holy Spirit from birth. Okay, in fact, ooh, I don't know if I can find it. Uh, stink. Sorry, I shouldn't take this much time, I know. But it it was extraordinary. Let me see. No, that's not it. This is what I get when I go through things and I don't write them down. But I never know what to write down. (laughs) Well, I know the Lord will bring it up in His timing, but... But it talked about how Jesus was unaware until it was his time to be aware. And it was actually a verse I, I don't remember ever reading before. I, I believe it was in Isaiah. But, uh, but recognize he was baptized in the Holy Spirit with power after he was baptized that same time. Okay, so now we have Jesus and his, his ministry 
beginning, he's baptized in power by the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit takes him into the wilderness. Let's start with verse 1 of chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. Literally, to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. By the way, don't be confused. Satan didn't wait until the end of the 40 days to do just all the temptation. Or the three that are listed here. Well, now that you're done, okay, okay, I'm going to tempt you three times, and, and then, then that's it. No, it said he was tempted in every way that we are. So first of all, don't think that his temptation ended in that 40-day period. And don't think that it began in that 40-day period either. This one just has to, it's unique because of how Jesus battles it. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Okay, now you can think that that's, and, and I did for years, that, well, that's a pithy answer. You know, pithy meaning, that, that's kind of a smart answer. That's like a smack, you know. Man cannot live by bread alone. Okay, but do you understand what's really going on here? See, Jesus knew the scripture. And Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, he threw scripture back at him. Because he knew his own words did not have the value or the authority that the Father's words had. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It is written, okay, if you... It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And you don't need to turn there, but in Deuteronomy 8, it says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you now, make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, the very thing that he was tempted with, he used his sword and he threw back in Satan's face. Now, now this all fits into that Psalm 91. He's trying to teach us, use your sword. In that relationship, if you're building a relationship with Christ on your feelings, how you feel today, I feel good today, so I have a good relationship with him. I mean, you're in for kind of a rough road. Where you want to be in building relationship with him is in his word every day. David said, I hide your word in my heart. Why? So I might not sin against you. So I might not allow a barrier in that rises up between You and me in relationship. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. 
for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. Now, first of all, recognize something. Satan is the father of lies. But some of his greatest temptations are truths. He was speaking truth here. He did have authority to give all of those kingdoms. Why? Because Adam gave him the authority. That's why the Son of God chose to become a man in the first place, was to come down and retrieve that which was already given. So Satan was not lying when he said, it has been delivered to me. Sure. Yeah, Adam delivered it to him. Gave it to him. We talked about that on Thursday night, right? So he's offering to give him all this authority and all this glory. Look at Jesus' response, verse 7. Or, well, Satan said, If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, when I've read that before, I I guess I, I just assumed... And maybe many of you are, are the same way, or maybe I was just the only, only weird one, I don't know. But I assumed Jesus is saying, you don't worship, I don't worship you, you worship me. And, and by the way, he would have every right to say that because he was the Son of God. But that's not what he said. That's not what he said. He said, he said I will only worship... My Father. The God. But he didn't just say that out of his own, you know, just rhetorical coming back from this. What he did is he quoted Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. See, Jesus had learned. Yes, Jesus learned. That's what the Bible said. He learned obedience. Jesus learned, first of all, who he was who his father was, what their relationship was, but he recognized that everything that he walked in his life must come from the father and the relationship he has with the father. Wouldn't, and now this sounds silly, but wouldn't it have been so much easier physically for Jesus to say, you know what, I know I'm supposed to get all these kingdoms under my rule. I know I'm going to get them for a thousand years. Yeah, just give them to me now. Then I won't have to worry about all the stuff that we have to go through to get it. I know that sounds silly. But isn't that exactly what we do? We look at the quick way to build a relationship, or what we think is building a relationship, because it's an easier road. And yet it's the hard road that God's saying, no, 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 you won't get there on that road. It's this road. It's this road where I have to take your hand. That's the road that you'll get there on. Then Satan comes to him a third time. 
And he says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Which, by the way, he knew he was the Son of God. And this is trippy to think this. But Jesus had to believe that by faith. Because he was a man. Just as we. He believed by faith and by the relationship that he had with his father who told him who he was. But Satan knew who he was. He says, if you be... Where was I? Nine, ten. Yeah, nine to ten. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. (laughs) Satan turns the tables on Jesus. said, okay, you're going to throw Scripture at me. Oh, I know the Word of God. I'm going to throw it right back at you. In fact, those are the exact words that are found in Psalm 91. That was Jesus' protection. He said, you're not going to get hurt. And I picture, you know, anytime you go through these scenarios with with Jesus or with any of the apostles, disciples, whatever, picture yourself there. Picture yourself in this situation. I don't know about you, I hate heights. And you ever see on Facebook these insane people that crawl up to these ridiculous places. They're standing on top and it looks like ants down there. There's nothing holding them and they take a picture. Oh no, I'm sitting in my chair looking at a computer and I feel queasy. Okay, now I don't know if Jesus had a problem with heights. I'm guessing that he probably put him up in a place where it's like, okay, I don't know how I would have reacted. I don't know. I have a sickness, though, because my fear of heights is that I'm afraid I want to jump. So maybe if he took me up there, I would have to count on the angels not, you know, taking care of me because I'd jump off. I don't know. But see, he took Jesus up to this pinnacle, and he said, huh, Scripture says you'll be fine. Won't you just jump off and prove it? What did Jesus say? He answered him and he said, it's, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And, and again, he goes back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6 verse 16 says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Mas- Massah. You shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. You know, so when I looked at that this morning, I, I, I went to when the children of Israel who came out of Egypt and, and they, they, I wanted to go to that part where He was talking about and, and it's, it's actually in Exodus chapter 16. Verse 1 says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord. Remember that pillar of cloud and, and the pillar of fire? According to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. 
Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? I don't know about you, that hit me in the face. Because how often do we test the Lord? By grumbling about our circumstances. By grumbling about what we think is supposed to be better. But it's there for a reason. See, we test the Lord in that fact. We test the Lord. Verse 3, But the people thirsted here for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They, I'm, I'm sorry, but they, they, would have, they would have been a tough group to lead. But do you think that's probably what Jesus says about us? About his bride? This is a tough group to lead. You know, I, I, I just need a couple. I need, I need a remnant. I need some Joshua's. I need some Caleb's that, that saw the hope that saw the possibilities, that looked beyond the, the troubles and said, that's ours, let's go get it. That's what he's building up in the bride right now. He's building up in the bride those who will take Psalm 91 and say, you are my protection. I will step out onto the battlefield. I will draw the sword and I will strike where you tell me to strike. And it doesn't matter what people think. Let me, let me forewarn you something. If you're concerned with what people think, <laughs> you're in the wrong church at the wrong time. Amen. This is the wrong time to be, be part of the remnant of the bride if you're concerned with what people think. But if you're concerned with what God thinks and your relationship with him reflects your willingness to step, then you're at the right place at the right time. And I don't mean that it has to do with ignition. I'm talking about the remnant, this remnant, this army that he is rising up all over the world. Finally, this group of Joshua's and Caleb's that will say, yeah, we're going to go. I don't care if I... I think if Joshua and Caleb, if the Lord would have just said, just the two of you go, they would have gone. Because they would have known, it doesn't matter if there's two against millions, because whatever it is, it's two plus one. That's way bigger than any of the millions. Do we have that attitude? See, we can connect with that thought, but do we live that thought? That's the tough thing. You know, if we live that thought, then we're willing to step where we're kind of afraid to step. I think it's extraordinary. We have, and, and I know there are going to be more, the Lord's shown me more, but, but so far, I think we have 10 or 11 people that are moving to Nigeria at, by the end of the year. Moving. Not going. We have 12, and I believe we'll have 14, in April. 
I'm not talking about April. I'm talking about moving. It's one thing to go there for, for seven or eight days and another thing to move. I mean, it's one thing to eat chicken and rice for seven days. For <laughs> eat chicken and rice for a couple of years. <laughs> That's right. That's extraordinary to me. See, to me, that is a Joshua and Caleb moment saying, I see what God has and I will do it. I don't care of the opposition. I don't care. I don't care because it's not opposing me. It's opposing God. You know, that's why, why do you think Paul could walk into so many situations with confidence? I mean, going into Jerusalem... And knowing that he's going to be beaten. Or how about going into Rome at the end where he knows he's going to be killed. He's going to eventually die. He's even, he knew it already. And then he was warned about it from his friends and he's like, guys, you know, you're not helping me here. But he walked with boldness. He walked with courage, just as Joshua and Caleb did when they went into the land the first time and said, yeah, it's ours. Let's go. Be a Joshua and Caleb. Trust in Him. No matter what your situation is right now, I promise you, it doesn't matter your situation. If you give God your yes every day, you know, that's what I told Caleb when, when, when he went in to prison. I said, I said, dude, this can be the best moments of your life. Trust in what God's doing. Trust in what He's doing. Wake up every morning without fail and say, yes. Lord, I give you my yes in everything that I do, no matter what. Even if you don't know what that means. And that's exactly what I told him. I said, I said you don't have to know what it means. All you have to do is move your mouth and it resemble your heart by saying yes. Because then God starts to move your feet. And he starts to put you in situations that will not only give you opportunity to grow with him, but opportunity for that fruit inside you from that relationship to grow and to overflow. That's who he is. That's what he wants to do in each one of you. And I've I've said it a million times. What would it look like for a church, a local church, where everybody in the church even if it was small in a living room, said yes to God, no matter what. Well, you've seen over the last couple of years what that looks like. And you're about to see what that means on a global scale. Because what is coming will be on a global scale overnight. I know you don't know what that means. And that's okay. I'm supposed to say it onto this, so when people go back and look at these tapes, then, then it's all going to be recorded on there. But understand that your vision and your view of what this life means is going to take on a whole different meaning when you say yes to the Lord. Because when that first domino falls... Life is very different. I don't mean it's easier. 
In many ways, it will be tougher. In many ways, easier. In many ways, more exciting. In many ways, I mean, just like Jesus' life. Look at Jesus' life. You know, he goes into a, it was extraordinary. One of the first places he went after he comes out of the wilderness, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. I can imagine he was so excited to go back to, to, to Nazareth, to his, his hometown. Yes, God, he's filled me and they wouldn't receive. Do you think that depressed Jesus? I don't know. I think it hurt him. It didn't stop him. He just moved on as the Lord guided his feet. Oh, what he's going to do with you guys. What he's going to do with this church. And nobody, nobody is set aside unless you set yourself aside. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We praise you. You are almighty God. And we just give you our yes. We desire, Father, your will to be done. We say your will be done as you have planned it in heaven, as you've written books about our lives, as you have written books about ignition. We just give you our yes. We want your books. I pray, Father, that you continue peeling back the layers of Psalm 91. Recognizing first what relationship is and and the qualifications of that 